Alex, I'm delighted today to be joined in the downtown den by the Conservative candidate for the Greater Manchester Mayoral, uh, Laura Evans. Uh, Laura, great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm enjoying it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so I suppose the first question to ask is, uh, you know, big job, Greater Manchester Mayoral role. I know at the moment that you've, you've your own business. Um, so what's the attraction uh, of the Greater Manchester mayor role for you why what the sort of things that uh, has attracted you to uh, applying for such a, a difficult challenging position well um i've been in in trafford as a councillor for many years obviously um so when i first came into it just so we know where we stand i was at 2011 i came on a, a policy that i thought was wrong i wasn't a politician a mum, interferer, local activist for sort of, you know, parks and stuff like that, but never did politics particularly, but always knew where I stood in politics. And then um, I got offered this, um, uh, this, this thing happened uh, about schools and I decided I was going to get involved and support this, this um, issue that bothered me greatly. And uh, before I knew it, um, then as time went on, I was delivering leaflets and if you've never ever joined a political party, whichever one you have, I can assure you, the first thing they do is drop off a bag of leaflets at your door and give you 250 doors to deliver to at least. And so that started, and then about into, into that for about a year or two before somebody said you could be a paper candidate for a seat that you know was unlikely to be won. And um, so I didn't understand why that would be the case. And so from there, in 2011, I did win the seat uh, in Trafford. And then I became an executive member in Trafford. And then I won the seat uh, four years later with a lot more votes. Um, and then I, by then, become an executive member in Trafford. I'd seen change. I delivered change. I could understand what you could do. Um, Trafford, whether we like it or not, or whether other people agree, is it a big linchpin in Greater Manchester. Mm -hmm. It's a massive, you know, um, and I did things there that made a huge difference. So we backed uh, the Lancashire Cricket Club and ended up getting the ashes there because the hotel got built. Uh, I bought the Manchester Marathon. Um, I, I, I reinvigorated our libraries. So then when this opportunity came, it would make great sense to say, I've worked there, seen it, understand it, and I've sat um uh within the combined authority so it wasn't such a great difference to take take that uh, that on and when you've looked at the different responsibilities the powers that the great manchester mayor has where are the areas that, that you would particularly like to, to bring your influence what are the sort of policy objectives that you'd be setting yourself so I'm particularly keen on small business. Everybody will tell you that I've like, you know, this is something like home to me because I set up business clubs, the Trafford Business Club, um, and I did one in uh, Bramall. Um, and when I set them up, it was always with the objective to get money for a cause, Shutter Road for a Christmas event or whatever. So I'm very passionate about um, small businesses. Um, and I think that they are the linchpin of, of everything that we, we can do for the country. Um, and because I was born with hearing issues and a speech impediment, I didn't have a great start. Um, for me, having my own business and doing what I've done 
has kind of proved to me that it's there for everyone to take if they want to. So that's one policy. The other thing that, uh, that I think that are areas that are, are interesting, early years is particularly, I went to see a nursery recently um, and um, we must, uh, you know, that's the, the start of everybody's existence is, uh, is the early years. And obviously investing in, I, I'm not sure that we've, um, you know, done enough for that. Um, and so uh, that's another area, uh, town centres and redevelopment, massive area that we should be looking at, empty shops. I mean, they were empty before. They were going to be empty. So that's a, a big area. Uh, then we've got, um, you know, all the peripheries that come off those things, people feeling safe in their streets, people feeling that they want to, as we know now with COVID, green spaces, parks. So um, all of those sort of um, remits are, are something. But a thriving economy and a, 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 an economy that can deliver jobs. And that's in all of Greater Manchester. So that's, you know, Lee and, and Wigan and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and then moving on with our green agenda. How do we deliver that? How do we get those jobs? Where can we, you know, we've got great workforce. We've got them all over, but we haven't necessarily got them connected. So um, all of those things roll into the sort of policy areas I'm very interested in. And I've, I've instigated transformation in Trafford on a very um, small scale, and it's very possible to do it. But you, one of the things I've been doing now is going out to those areas and it's, instead of talking at them, I've been listening. Yeah. And you've mentioned the importance of business law and obviously being a business person yourself, uh, you appreciate challenges that uh, small business in particular perhaps face. Uh, where do you stand at the moment in terms of the recovery plan, where we are uh, at this present time? There is still... Uh, I think it's fair to say a difference of opinion um, at, at all levels of society, you know, whether you talk to politicians, whether you talk to local authorities, whether you talk to businesses themselves as to whether we're getting back um, into work quickly enough. What's your sort of uh, instinct telling you at the moment? Um, so when lockdown happened, um, for a workaholic like myself, and I love work, so it wasn't, you know, I've, I've, um, I, I don't have a, I, I believe a good work balance is the fact that I just, I just like working. So when I'm very balanced when I work a lot and uh, I, I enjoy it, everything within my business. So I'm a, I do fiber optic cabling and computer repairs and I run fiber all over the, all over the country and in the Northwest, uh, we've got a long established name. We've been in uh, business for 30 years um and uh, so for me it was it's quite difficult to say let's stop but i was very happy to stop in all forms and i think the government made it easier to stop with furlough schemes and stuff less frightening um and obviously with grants so that that was very important and then as we saw we were on top of it and we've got um hospitals ready people ready because i think a lot of it was really about whether or not we could say to our doctors look you don't have to have them lying in the corridors we are going to make sure you don't have to make these decisions that are so horrific and affect so many lives and I don't say it's perfect but so I think then when we got that ready and then we started to see the numbering numbers dwindling by then um, I was ready I, I was already very much working through it because we did a lot of schools so we were dealing with schools okay. all the time but actually going much more hands-on and getting the the, the uh, people back into work and stuff um, we were pretty much ready. and I had um, actually engineers 
you know, say, look, can I just go into the office on my own? Because I, I can get away from the, uh, the family or whatever. Because I think they needed that, that interaction, that change. And um, uh, so, no, I, I think it's probably been time. But I will understand completely that people are very worried. I don't blame them. I am too. But I think we, it's time. And the other side of that is if you didn't go back, how was it going to affect people's lives? Mental health, massive mm. issue. I think that's where I am at the moment now, Laura. I think initially uh, I very much understood why the lockdown was needed, why it was necessary. The point you make about not overwhelming the NHS, crucial that that was uh, the case, that we protected that. Um, but ultimately now I'm looking at the other implications of a further two, three, four months, whatever it might be, lockdown. Uh, and, you know, the biggest killer both nationally and globally for generations now has been poverty. And if we don't get the economy back on track soon, then unfortunately we're going to see many more businesses go bust. We're going to see many more people become unemployed. And so for me now, the longer term implications are actually more concerning than the short term tackling the virus situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had that with everyone I've spoken to. So I've been in lots of fish and chip shops and spoken to lots of them. They've done well. They've moved on to new technology. I've been into uh, market halls all over um, and seen how they've been operating. Bolton was a particularly outstanding market hall, I have to tell you. They very quickly got to the point where they had um, Facebook up and running and all the fishmongers and stuff who were not very social media savvy. They went straight on to that. And um, actually had a complaint from one of them last Saturday before last, that they were overwhelmed. 40 orders I've got to get out. You know, 40 orders. And I'm like, well, you know, some of us would be grateful for 40 orders. <laughs> so, um, so I think that um, they'd been innovative, but there was also their, um, you know, the, the other shops there, they need to trade and you can give them an amount of money and you can sort of get, but they're frightened about, and then you get the other side of that, will they ever trade again? So I went to see somebody who, um, to two artists, and of course, she was very keen to get open and um, found it very difficult, very stressful. Thank the government for what they'd done, but now could they let them get back to work? Uh, mm. And you could see that. So, yeah, that without a shadow of a doubt, that it is, I think, very important that we um, don't get people too used to being at home, mm. you know, and then get them too worried about going back. You know, when I didn't work, this is honest to God's truth. So I went. I had my first child and I didn't work for a while, maybe, I don't know, four or five months. And I lost all confidence. And mm. I ended up helping out at the local Oxfam on the till. I couldn't even work the till in mind anything. And I'm a very confident person. But I was really, I just got used to being at home with the baby, you see. Mm. I just lost that. And even though I had the business and everything, I'd stepped away from it so far, I was actually really finding it difficult to go back. And I, I, that, that is where we might be today. So we need to be mindful of that. Yeah, I think there's uh, something to that. I think there is a, a mental blockage now among some people. Uh, part of it driven by fear, I think. Uh, but part of it, I'm sure, as you say, Laura, lack of confidence. You mentioned schools and the importance of education. And of course, that is a big part of the uh, role that uh, a mayor be clearly interested in and looking at. Um, one of the areas that I think we've, we've been badly uh, performing through this crisis 
is how we've handled the education situation. Uh, you know, and even now, uh, I'm getting letters from my girls' schools suggesting that we may be going back in September, but there's still that question mark. Again, I would suggest if we don't get kids back into schools, it's going to be very difficult getting our economy moving again. What's the situation in Greater Manchester across the piece? Are, are those conversations happening in terms of ensuring that we are ready to, to, to get back to some sort of normality, at least in our education system come September? Yes, I, from what I know, and um, bearing in mind, I'm the candidate, not the, you know, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I have to fight tooth and nail to get as much information as I get. And I do a lot of reading and I speak to, that's why I speak to so many people, because I don't think you can actually draw any conclusions. Go to nurseries. I speak to schools. Um, so in the, the trouble with the school thing was um, obviously we made it so that people could work better from home, kids could work better from home, laptops going home and stuff. And a lot of my schools that I dealt with were very up on giving out tuition online. And that worked really well. But then when it came to whether they should or shouldn't go back, they were seeking confirmation from the councils. So it's it the point that one of my nursery schools uh, let me know that they were looking to have, uh, for their insurance purposes, they needed to have a write-off from the council to say that they could go back to work, to, to operate. So that was very complex. And then, of course, I think, um, and sadly, with all things, it always goes a bit political, the unions were saying a different message. The government was saying there wasn't clear combined thinking. And um, so some of the schools were seeking guidance. Um, I know from uh, certain parties to see whether or not um, they could go back to school. The, the, it was really kind of, if you feel comfortable, but they only felt comfortable when the council said it was good. You know, it was, it was a, so a difficult one. But I believe like you, I would get subject to us not having a massive spike mm. subject to the fact that they are not they don't suffer the kids this would be a whole different argument if we had kids being affected uh, and, and and it was much more harsh on the outcomes for the children believe me mm. you and i'd be thinking differently yeah of course absolutely yeah. but it's not so for them they need to get back to school and i've got loads and loads of young kids around me all the time who are very active like campaigners and they've got friends and I'm, they want to get back to school quick and they want to they want to go to universities and they want to go to colleges and they you know they want to go to uh, that start start back they, they're tired of it too so i hope that we we get a really clear message to go to school in in september and i know lots of us feel the same way about that okay uh, and of course the other crucial area and it's something that we always talk to elected mayors about is transport uh, because you know that is an area that there's clear powers and responsibilities there's resources available for them to uh, tweak local plans do things a little differently uh, and transport a massive issue across greater manchester is particularly pertinent within city centers in terms of congestion uh, and movement and networks you've mentioned uh, the fact that it's important that our towns uh, are well connected to our cities. So in terms of that transport piece, Laura, uh, what would your sort of vision moving forward be? Where do you think Greater Manchester is getting things right at the moment? Uh, perhaps more importantly, where, where are we getting it wrong? Um, well, for whatever reason, uh, over the years, I don't think we've had enough investment in the, uh, you know, the out 
the outer towns. So, for example, we need that transport going to to Lee. They're looking at having that. That that's been put through by Grundy, uh, James Grundy, uh, to get um, the Goldbourne and those lines sorted. Because we should really have a ring around Greater Manchester. Um, so that you can easily access Bolton and Bury and Wigan and all those different areas. So there's been a lot of talk about that getting on, and I know a lot of transport stuff is going in that. And I really think we should champion that. On the there is a bottleneck, of course, at Piccadilly, which causes a problem, and um, uh, that's a line issue. So that's something that I would really, and I, I think anybody would want to get uh, resolved and looked at. And I do think that because of the um, I have quite a good working relationship with our MPs, well, very good, and with our councillors. We're all sort of, they're all putting into this fund that you've got, the transport fund, to make sure that they are getting those um, uh, outer loops opened up. Um, and that will do so many things. One is it, it stops congestion. It gives you the opportunity to, to fight for local businesses. Um, uh, and make sure that we, uh, you know, uh, we don't have to then go too far to get to work. Or if we do go to work, we can actually never go into the city centre, which we know carries the most pressures, because they're just going to go into Bury or they're going to go into Bolton or they're going to that that. And then of course, with that, you need to make sure you've got the jobs in those areas. So I think it's a whole real policy change about delivering. Um, some of the older lines that were, you know, the, the beaching lines, for want of a work, better use of it, those coming back into play and then making sure that we deliver that, that transport. And then within the city centre, um, there's an awful lot we can do with the buses. So I'm very pro looking for a partnership model on the buses. I've spoken to the buses. This is pre-COVID. Uh, clearly, I haven't been able to have those meetings since. Um, so I would look to... Uh, get the relationship working with them. There's another element of uh, not going where people, you know, where there's maybe it's more awkward to get to. Well, they need to be put back into play. You know, if you're if you're running buses, you've got to run them everywhere. And I'd like to really dig deep into that so that we can really offer the service. And then I don't know if you saw there's a report out today about our aging population. We are aging. So um, and we're going to have a lot more older people. Like we need to get them used to transport and um, so, uh, and have a connected transport. There's a lot of work to do around that, but then there's the green side of things where we have more cycling, realistic cycling. I mean, I, I, don't, I cycle. If you look at the weather today, you're not really gonna cycle very far today. You know, it's a wonderful concept and I'm absolutely behind it, but we need to have a real concept where it's not just a few cones running along the road. It's got to be a real option where you know that, you know, and that's gonna take investment. And I know there is a, a narrative along that, but we need to get sharper with that. And I would, so I, I'm kind of joining up the dots there. And then I'm not averse to having faster routes for buses to go in and out. But if you're going into the town centres, where we know congestion is hard, they're going to high, they're going to have to be uh, electric, electric buses where they're not going to give out the levels of pollution. Mm. Uh, and Laura, you mentioned uh, town centres, and uh, I think made a very valid point that you know, forget COVID. There's many of our high streets, many of our town centres struggling, facing huge challenges in terms of voids, uh, empty properties right across uh, many of our towns now. And Greater Manchester is 
is no exception to that. Uh, anything that you think that we ought to be doing to try and support uh, those high streets and town centres? Because it, it seems to me that certainly for the short term, it's not going to be a retail-led recovery for them, is it? No, but, but if you have a look at the, the high street as it sits now, now I have been bashing on about this for forever and a day. So it's all about change. But if we look at all the amount of high streets that, so I did a lot of work with Altrincham High Street, the regeneration of the oh, town centre and the Great British High Street. That was very much on my portfolio, very much something I've driven. And libraries, when some of, oh, they're all dead and nobody uses them. Now we've got like massive increase in library uses. It's certainly if they're in the right places and you combine them with something like a doctor's surgery. So let's take the high street where we know there's going to be, uh, you know, catastrophic for one. I hate that word, but it's a true word. There's going to be a lot of damage going on there, but it was already there. Then where do we use those spaces better? So I don't believe the answer to that is to say another community space, because I think you're actually going to run out. Oh, I'll have too many of them. But I do believe that we make them into homes. And I've got a whole concept about high street to homes policy. So why wouldn't we use those sites? Why wouldn't we make it? And I know that the government's uh, making it easier to do this. So we make that high street where you, ha you live there, you shop there, and you, you can, and the infrastructure's there. You know, if you want to put more homes in, in you know, let's take, um, you know, well, we could, we, it doesn't really matter where you go because they've been all over. But if, if you go to uh, Radcliffe as an example, there's plenty of options to put, where the empty spaces are to make them into homes and with great connections to transport it's already there um and so i i can't i think that's where we should be focusing and i think you can get thousands of homes on those sites and then you regenerate the high street because people are living there this is not an un unusual concept it was quite complex i think because the legislation wasn't as easy but i think the government's paved the way to say that this is um you know the way that people want to live. I certainly would have no issue in living in, 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 a, in a town centre, in, in an apartment, uh, above a shop, whatever, and, and be able to go out and get my shopping and stuff like that. And I think that, I'm not saying it's for everyone, but that is a huge area that we have never really grabbed and seized. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the thing that is concentrating everybody's minds at the moment is, is our health and social care activity. Uh, and... Greater Manchester has a unique devolution deal, which gives it some responsibility in terms of that. Uh, and I don't think, again, it's any coincidence that where we've seen potential for local delivery, we've probably seen improved uh, results. Uh, so as the Greater Manchester Mayor, let's fast forward to June next year and you're having your negotiations with uh, Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson and whoever. Uh, what are the sort of powers that you'd like to see uh, devolved to uh, local regional governments? Uh, I'm being a bit facetious there in terms of say you would be doing the negotiations, but are there things genuinely that you think your experience as a local councillor, for example, actually if we had more power to deliver on these things, we could do it more effectively than those buggers in Whitehall? Yes. So there is a two-way narrative on that. Um, there's been a long, long time of a conversation that you've just said to me that has been running through, through, um, through this. So 
what is wrong when we have a commitment and so many MPs and a vast area, what is wrong with us being very firm about our conversations with the government and actually breaking down the barrier to work with them so directly because I intend to do that. I don't intend to have that, that because firstly, it's, it's not north-south anymore because as the speed gets faster and as we travel about and can talk like this, they're only next door. I intend to make it so that I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to be talking with, and they're not, they're not, they are going to listen to me because I'm listening to the residents and we are just going to see a transformation of integration. And when, we, when I was at Trafford, we integrated. So there's a lot of integration that needs to think about, for example, on policing. If you get called out as a, 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 um, to a job as, as a police officer, sometimes if it's domestic violence, which I know we've seen a huge rise in and not, you know, and I know we've passed bills on that, but nonetheless, if you're going through domestic violence, I don't think that makes a blind bit of difference to you. You just want to get out of that situation. But that integration between their needs as uh, uh, and social care needs and violence, domestic violence needs is where they, they join up. So, they should be able to immediately say, this is a domestic violence issue. I need you to come with me to this. Um, this is an issue. So the, so the police aren't just left with that. Now, we tried some combined joining up thinking about all of this integration. And a lot of it was led by the fact that you've got certain areas that you can't, confidential information, for example, which was stopping them necessarily, these agencies talking to each other. And, you know, we need to have the mental health teams out with the police when it's when it's needed and when we know that that is calls come in um, and then the police will be free to go and get on with they, what they need to do and that is, piece is picked up that piece of work by you know a, a relevant agency so a lot more that's just one example but we saw in uh, children's uh, care we've seen it when we have an if you have an elderly resident that goes into a hospital the main carer may be the wife but do we pick up on that wife and say, what do you need for us to keep you at home? And if we keep the wife well at home, when he comes out of hospital, then they're fit and well to carry on the, the care for that other person. But what we don't do is necessarily join that up. So I think a lot of joined up thinking is being missed there. Um, and, and I'd like to really work at that uh, and, and dig into it deeper. To, and, and the only way you're gonna do that is have, have those conversations with those people, with the agencies, and say, can this work? Can we do this? A bit like apprenticeships. I'm very big on apprenticeships. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. no, no, it's fine. I, I think some some very relevant and, and salient points. I, I think we we all uh, recognise that sometimes those barriers and and people operating in silos uh, don't necessarily achieve the right results, and and obviously. I'm a great believer in devolution. I think the more power we have devolved, the easier it is to actually break those barriers down. And again, I would have to say that over the years, uh, and I take the politics out of this, I think Greater Manchester has been an exemplar in many areas of that. Uh, but equally, uh, like all big organisations, it can always do better. Um, so I'm sure we can always look at focusing on areas where we think we could get better results. Final point I want to make to you, Laura, in terms of, you know, you were supposed to be fighting the election two months ago, yeah. um, and it's, the election's been moved now to, to 2021. Fingers crossed we will be 
back up and running by then. Um, so there's a big budget. Uh, I know Richie Sunak's done an awful lot of uh, announcements in recent times. And I think, you know, I would say, again, take the politics out of it. The Chancellor has done a good job in terms of protecting the economy thus far. His next task, task of course, is going to be about growing the economy again. Uh, and it's a different skill set, isn't it? You can protect things, but then when you're actually trying to make them flourish and grow, you need a different set of tactics. What are the sort of things that you'd like to see uh, Rishi Sunak deliver in his autumn statement? Are there any particular measures that you think will benefit businesses, of which, of course, as you've said, you've got a, a, a keen interest, not least because you run one, yeah. um, but also perhaps Greater Manchester itself, anything that particularly you, you'd like to see him announce for the area that you think would be good for, for GM? Well, I, I think that we need to be very innovative with our, um, with our businesses. So we should be reaching out to businesses. And, and um, I know Tesla was an offer recently. I desperately wanted to rush out and offer Tesla a piece of uh, Greater Manchester and say, where would you like to come round here? Um, I want that joined up thinking where we, we, it, we, we have workforces. If you have a look around the areas that I've, I've been around, all around, You've got very little manufacturing in some of those areas, but they used to be manufacturing. And you've got very little, um, uh, I'm not sure anybody's really reaching out to, to businesses, bigger businesses, um, international businesses, or, and I'm sure there is work done, but perhaps not enough. And I think as a voice, I would like to be able to say, well, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to uh, seize those businesses. I'm going to sell them how great it is because we've got great, uh, you know, we've got the workforce here. And then how can we integrate that better? Now, we have loads of universities. And then on top of that, we have uh, you know, loads and loads of kids who get to 16, 17, 18 and looking for jobs. We have a pool of people here that if we've got the right connectivity, if we've got the ability for them to get uh, from A to B, we should be reaching out, getting them in and then offering them jobs. So if you go to um, a university here, you actually have a guaranteed role at the end of it. And we need companies to be spoken to, to say, We'll direct. So let's look at, for example, there's a massive thing I've got about cyber security. Cyber security is huge. And I'm not sure. And there's a, millions of jobs available in cyber security. It's a big way forward. We could be leading on that kind of apprenticeship role. We could be leading in that with our universities. And I'd like to really join them up. And I'd like to then say to kids, not only will you come here to study, but we'll get you work at the end of it. And the way the government does that is put its hands in its pocket to make sure that that is so. And, and you cannot offer what you can't, what you don't know. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that to be able, it would be lovely to say, do you know what I'm going to do? When I get in there, I'm going to make sure, but you have to be realistic, but I'm going to make sure because I'm, you know, of the same colour that I get an awful lot of speech with, you know, my fellow blues in government and my MPs and say to them, you know, we've got a commitment to these people here and I need you to put your money where your mouth is and open and work with me. So businesses should be encouraged here. We have so much to offer and, um, and such a great, it's such a great area that we just need that bit more connectivity. We need to offer the jobs. I'm big on apprenticeships because I really struggled myself. So um, I think there's an issue with 
English apprenticeship. If you do an apprenticeship, I don't know if you know this, but if you have to get level four, you know, to get on an apprenticeship, well, that's English level four. To some of us, and you'll, if you ever watch my Twitter or Facebook, you'll see it, who cannot spell because we didn't get the early years in, it is ridiculously difficult. And if you're asking them to go into stuff where they're doing things like cybersecurity and massive growth areas, you're coding, all that sort of dynamic, high-moving, fast-tech industry, they don't care if you can spell. Mm. It's irrelevant to the gamer. Mm. It's irrelevant to those people. So, um, yeah, I think I would like to also have a word with that about why we are so, you know, insistent on getting that particular bar when I think there are other things that we could do. So there's quite a lot of work there. Mm. Oh, there's always plenty of work to be done uh within the the world of politics i i know that from my past experiences laura the final point i'll make to you today uh not a question as such but i know that you've been uh you've stated in our conversation today listening to what people out there have to say and you've got a business survey running at the moment haven't you yeah. um we, we'll put a link on uh the end of this video when it's published so that people can directly um come to you uh, and answer those questions but uh, again were there any key findings that you were looking for out of that i was looking for people who needed help and guidance so i spent a lot of time uh, when the the grants came out uh i'm not going to pick on which councils didn't didn't move quickly but some of them were slow now frank i don't know how many people or small businesses i mean i'm talking really small the baby game here i mean and the big ones but the ones that break my heart the most um they needed that money desperately. And I was ringing up the councils and screaming at them, literally, please, you've got the money in the bank. I know it, they'll pay out. Well, we're checking this and we're checking that and we're checking this. So the survey was very much about making sure. And what about if you speak a different language? Now I came a lot to people who spoke different languages and they didn't, you know, trying to say that they need to go speak to their accountant and that they could get a grant for 10,000 or 25,000 pounds. I had to have those conversations. I was getting stuff translated um, uh, and I was really pushing that message. So that was really, um, and, and the survey is really about what could we do better? What do you need from me? And then I can join the dots up. I mean, it's, a, it's an honest fact that I go on to Ian Lewis um, uh, a lot, uh, money, money supermarket, you know, is it? Uh, yeah, it is. And I, I watch what he says and he's so enthusiastic and he gets you all hyped up. And Martin Lewis, that's it, Martin Lewis, sorry, moneysupermarket.com. And I go on to him a lot and I, I go, um, oh, he's got it right, you know, and I try and make sure people, I wish that, you know, they would, it's there for grabbing. There is lots of money available and lots more money coming. And uh, there's apprenticeships money coming. What about this meal voucher, this £10 voucher? Um, I, I want to get the nitty gritty so that they know that they can do that. And will it work? Won't it work? Well, lots of businesses I spoke to, it will work but it'll only work if they can get hold of the information. So the survey's about the big stuff and the little stuff. Have you had enough information? Then I'll email them back um, and I'll even go and see them when we can and chat to them about what we could do better, what could be more. And that's when you start having great conversations and they spread the word of what we can do. So yes, um, that would, I would really appreciate that, Frank. That'd be absolutely marvellous. Brilliant. We will have the link up to that survey. So uh, please, complete it send it back to laura uh, and hopefully uh, in the not too distant future we can get you on to a live downtown event that'd be great really great and i really appreciate it and i'll be honest with you i watched all your previous ones and they were very good 
So the oh, text files, yeah, I was really impressed. <laughs> they were really good. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll enjoy this because um, people telling you how they developed or made their businesses is fascinating. And if you're on the sidelines wondering why your business is doing so well, you can gain inspiration from conversations like that. Well, I can tell you, Laura, your number 101 video conversation that we've done through lockdown. So, uh, so you're in good company. We've had some great people on. And I've really enjoyed the conversation today. So thank you for, for taking time out to, to join us in the downtown den. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Laura. See you soon. Bye-bye. That was Laura Evans, the Conservative candidate for the Greater Manchester mayoral role. Uh, and as I say, hopefully uh, we'll be getting her along to a, a live downtown event in the not too distant future. Thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon and we'll see you all again in the not too distant future. Cheers. <laughs>